Welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Tuesday the 1st of September 2020, here at Colin Chance House, Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles is Moira Lowe. Our sound engineer is John Plush, and our admin will be done by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones, and I do hope everyone enjoys our offering. It's certainly good to be back following so many months of lockdown. In addition to news items. You'll hear some useful telephone numbers, including theatres ready for when they open, readers' letters, birthdays, and obituaries are still included. But following listeners' requests a little while ago, they're placed in a different spot following the closing music. So if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget, recordings are usually available on podcast, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation. It can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR five one DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone, Worcester. That's zero one nine zero five seven six double seven double six, or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on that number I've just given, and leave a message to that effect. Now birthdays. There are none recorded for this week, but there is one on the fourteenth of September, and that's Linda Bather. Happy birthday for that day, Linda. Now some useful telephone numbers. Out of hours medical help six to eight p.m. zero three double zero one two double three two double one. NHS non emergency one one one. Worcester Live. That's the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, and the Henry Sandon Hall. Worcester six double one four two seven, and Malvern Theatre zero one six eight four eight nine two two seven seven. Worcester Hub Council Matters, Worcester seven six five seven six five, or Worcester seven treble two double three. Crime Stoppers, zero eight double zero. Triple five, triple one, 
and Samaritans, 116123, and that's a free phone number. Right, now for the headlines, and I'm going to ask Moira to read the first one. Okay, this is the headline from Thursday, August 20th. Ex-teacher guilty of raping woman. A former Worcester teacher's wife screamed in anguish when he was found guilty of rape at the city's Crown Court yesterday. Michael Layden, 61, previously of Diglis, Worcester, was convicted by majority decision of a single count of rape and cleared of a second. The jury spent 11 hours and 8 minutes deliberating over three days when they returned a guilty verdict by a majority of 11 to 1 at Worcester Crown Court yesterday. The father of three was a teacher at Nunnery Wood High School between 1983 and 1989, but had also taught at schools in Redditch and Hereford. The semi-retired history teacher and former school governor showed no emotion, remaining impassive but ashen-faced in the dock. His wife had supported him throughout the trial which began last Tuesday, holding his hand and putting her arms around him as they waited for the jury's decision. When the guilty verdict for the 2014 rape was announced by the foreman, Layden's wife began to wail loudly and scrunched up a plastic bottle of water, throwing it to the floor before hurrying out of the public gallery. She left the court before the jury had delivered a non-guilty verdict on the second count, clearing him of another alleged rape. The prosecution case, led by James Dunstan, had been that text from the defendant to the complainant amounted to a confession of rape. Layden claimed sex was consensual and his barrister, Robert Tolhurst, had suggested to the complainant she was confused because of flashbacks to when she was sexually abused as a child. One text message read, You said last night that I should have stopped on the night I took advantage of you against your will. Believe me, I wish I had. If I had known what I was doing, I would have. I cannot change what happened or how you must have felt, but I will do anything to try to make amends. In one message he wrote, I did something disgusting as a result of drink, tablets and stress. Layden had previously defended in court his son Christopher Layden, who raped a 10-year-old boy when he was 15. In October 2017, Christopher Layden, then aged 28 and of Hardwick Place, St Albans, was found guilty of rape of a boy under the age of 13 sexual assault of a boy under the age of 13, inciting a child to engage in sexual sexual activity and four counts of possessing indecent photos of children. He was sentenced to a seven-year prison term. Michael Layden, now of Wesley Gardens Worthing, will be sentenced on September the 18th. Judge James Burbridge, QC, adjourned the case for a pre-sentence report, granting Layden bail on condition he has no contact with the complainant. He said, a sentence of imprisonment is inevitable for rape. Uh, See worcesternews.co.uk for more on the trials involving Michael and Christopher Layden. Now the headline article for Friday, August the 21st. Dad hit his partner while she held kids. A fantastic dad who went mad on vodka punched his partner in the face during a bloody attack while she was holding two children. 
Damien Homer was told he would have gone to jail if not for Stacey Hill, the partner who defended him after he punched her in the face, knocking her and two children to the floor and showering them in blood. The 46-year-old defendant of Blackpool Road, Worcester, had already admitted assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday. The assault happened on June the 29th this year at the couple's Worcester home, after the defendant had drunk a litre and a half of vodka before asking his partner if he could have some of her Prosecco. Miss mm. Hill replied, I don't think you need any more. And an argument erupted between the two before she went upstairs to get away from him. Ben Close, prosecuting, said Homer told her he was breaking up with her, threatened to sh throw her out of the window and shouted, I really want to punch you. Homer, described as a well-built man by the judge, also barged into her, knocking her to the floor, so that she suffered an injury, minor bruising, to her elbow. She rang her mother, asking for help. He started to pretend he was being attacked for the benefit of her mother on the other end of the call, said Mr Close. The prosecutor also said Homer gave Miss Hill the impression he would attack her mother if she came to the house. As she was walking downstairs, the defendant said, I'm going to get a knife and stab you in the eye, said Mr Close. Homer punched her once to the face while she was carrying two children. The blow caused a chipped front tooth and she said she could feel blood dripping down her face from a cut above her eye. She ran out of the house shouting for help. Her mother was said to have heard her shouting help and he's gone mad over the phone. Police attended at around 12.20am finding Miss Hill at a neighbour's address with a swollen face and a cut estimated to be about 1.5 centimetres in length above her eye and a chipped tooth. She spent five hours at Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester, receiving three stitches to her eye. She received no fractures, but Mr Close said she suffered flashbacks of the defendant coming towards her. When the victim's mother arrived at the house, she described Homer as having a bright red face, gritting his teeth and having clenched fists. Homer told her that her daughter had gone for a walk and was just being dramatic. She could see blood around the property and on the defendant's clothes. Homer told her, you don't know what I have to put up with. At one stage, he began to cry and said, I've lost her. Homer was also said to have threatened the woman's husband, saying, I'll kill you. Mark Sheward, defending, said his client was now seeing a psychotherapist and had not drunk since the attack. He said, he's devastated by the way he behaved on that particular day. He accepts his drinking had become out of control. Mr Sheward also said the complainant, 
a paramedic at Eastwood Park Prison, took the view that his behaviour had been out of character. The solicitor said she may well give him a chance, provided he doesn't drink. He said his client's recollection of the incident was different, but that he did not dispute his partner's account. She doesn't tell lies. That was his comment to me, said Mr. Sheward. Judge James Burbage, QC, said the threat to stab his partner in the eye had been outrageous. The judge sentenced him to six months in prison, suspended for two years, and also made a community order. As Homer was leaving court, the judge said, When you lose your temper, you should think about what spared you from prison. It was Stacey Hill. Okay, my headline is from Saturday, August the 22nd. Ex-thief, I'm sorry for hurting people. A prolific thief and former drug addict who stole a charity collection tin intended for a little boy with cancer says he wants to apologise for the pain he has caused now that he is in recovery and turning his life around. Lewis Ellsley made headlines in September last year when he stole a collection tin containing £300 which had been donated to help raise 500000 for five-year-old Oscar Lee Saxelby to receive life-saving treatment in Singapore. Mr Ellsley was caught on CCTV at Sophie's Grill in Lowesmore, Worcester as he stole the money while staff were away from the till at around 10.20pm on September the 22nd, 2019. He was sentenced to 18 weeks in prison in October. Mr Ilsley, now 42 and living in Hallow, contacted the Worcester News because he wanted to publicly apologise for the pain he caused while an addict. I stole what I thought was a tip jar, but it turned out to be a fund for a very poorly child. It destroyed me knowing what I had done, he said. I would like to apologise to the victims. I was at rock bottom and am truly embarrassed about what I did. Stealing that poor child's fund has left a black cloud over my head, like the old-style cartoons. I was a drug addict and I committed the crime to fund that habit. I am coming forward like this because I am done making excuses and feeling like a pitiful victim. It is time to stand up and take ownership of what I have done. I've spent most of my life battling with addiction. Now I want something positive to come out of all the hurt that has been done. I'm no longer in denial or feeling sorry for myself. I'm focusing on what I can change, making peace with the victims of my crimes and trying to gain the respect back from my loved ones. My addiction came above my family and I have to live with that. I have punished myself for years. Now it is time to move on and do what I can to help others. The reformed character has not used any drugs or committed any crimes since he was released from prison almost 12 months ago. He added, My time in prison was horrendous. I absolutely hated it. But that's when the penny finally dropped. I feel I have finally given up on my old habits. I feel relieved that I know I don't have to struggle in the cycle of addiction. There is a way out. Mr Ilsley now hopes to inspire positive change within other addicts in Worcester. He said... My life, much like anyone else's, can't be defined by a few paragraphs, but can maybe start a movement that I feel is much needed in Worcestershire. One thing that is required before you can battle addiction is the desire to stop taking drugs. I am still in the early stages of my own recovery, 
but never more dedicated to the cause, to want to help people who feel they can no longer go on. I now feel true freedom from this illness, a mental illness that's just as devastating as any other. The good news is anyone can beat this with determination and desire. However, the general public need to understand that it's not a simple choice. It's usually triggered due to complex trauma. We all have a duty to understand and question and keep questioning why we judge those we don't quite relate to. I've come to understand my trauma and learn behaviours, but now at 42 I can do more. Hence why I want to share my story, to empower others out of the darkness and into recovery. Thank you for giving me this chance. Lewis first became addicted to drugs when he was just a teenager and was trapped in a cycle of using for many years. He said, I first became addicted to drugs as a teenager. My mother took me to Bournemouth to find my own way down in Dorset. I fell flat on my face. I was in and out of the court system down south and first attempted to get clean in 2001 when I found myself in rehab at 23. I completed the programme and got myself a job as a cleaner later in a call centre, then as an estate agent, where I stayed as a senior manager until my second relapse in 2010. It took getting to rock bottom last year for me to truly want to change my ways, though, and I believe I have for good this time. Mr Ellsley said he was helped in his battle with addiction after seeking support from Swanswell in Worcester. For drug and alcohol addiction help, contact Swanswell via 01. 01- 905-721020-cranston.org forward slash about us forward slash swanswell forward slash or drop into Castle House, Castle Street, Worcester. Now the headline article from Monday, August the 24th, 2020. Brave Lily, nine, still fighting leukaemia. The mother of a nine-year-old girl bravely battling cancer says the family is struggling with mixed emotions as they face new uncertainty over her future. Lily May Filmer went into Acorns Children's Hospice in Worcester for end-of-life care after battling acute lymphoblastic leukaemia for three years. But days later... She woke up from a coma and was moved back to Birmingham Children's Hospital. Mum Kaylee Chapman from Drake's Broughton said the family were excited that Lily had shown signs of improvement, but were still unsure of what would happen next. She said, We are so excited to see Lily's changes. We're also very aware that these are early days and we could easily end up back at the hospice. She still has her do not resuscitate in place, but we always said Lily would do what she wants, and she's shown us all exactly what she does best surprise us all. We will let Lily lead the way, and we'll always put what's best for Lily above everything else. It was clear when she made the changes on Monday that we were no longer where was best for her, as the only reason we were at Acorns was to spend Lily's days or weeks together as a family. That clearly isn't the case at this moment in time. We still have a very long and difficult journey ahead, 
and also welcoming her baby sister in the next few weeks will stretch us even further. But we have all come so far since her diagnosis in May 2017. We are a strong family unit and have a lot of support from friends and the community also. I want to say a massive thank you to everyone for keeping us all in your thoughts and prayers. Please keep going, as it's clearly working. We're living in a world where children with cancer are given such harsh chemicals designed for adults. It's no wonder her body has been battered. But we're so happy to see where she takes us from here. We'll never get the lily we had but she will still have the best life possible should we eventually be able to take her home. No one should have to prepare to watch their baby die. We had everything sorted for her funeral, her outfit, her final journey and resting place. We know that we all have a fight, but together we can fight whatever the outcome may be. Young Lily rang the end of treatment bell in August last year after fighting her illness since the age of five. But four months after getting the all clear, she relapsed. A very moving story. Mm. I think mm. it's a privilege to read something like that. Mm. And uh, back to bad news then. Um, this is the headline from Tuesday, August the 25th. Bar bosses were doing all we can. Bar and pub bosses in Worcester say they are doing everything they can to enforce social distancing rules after concerns were raised about crowds at venues. A customer of the flag in Lowesmore took photos of people queuing outside and crowds inside the bar on Friday night and spoke out against the lack of social distancing, while similar images of bushwhackers in Trinity Street have also been shared on the media. The owner of the flag, Lee Winters, says it has been a difficult time as venues have been forced to completely change their practices as per government guidelines around coronavirus. Mr Winters said there is CCTV throughout the venue to monitor the safety measures and to ensure customers are following government guidelines. Social distancing from the get-go on opening was always going to be a problem given the nature of all venues and social places, said Mr Winters. People will always, regardless of advice, do as they choose. It's a tough job for any venue. Ours is relatively small in comparison to others in the city centre, but we made changes such as moving furniture, adding tech and protective measures to help minimise issues from our perspective. We are very much in control and take seriously all aspects of ensuring customers are safe at our venue. Mr Winters added, We're doing our very best, as I know other venues are too. We have seen our capacity half since opening. It's new times for us all. We have to adapt and do our best. We are ultimately doing our very best during an extremely difficult period. We constantly review what we are doing and adapt where possible. He said there are strict measures in place such as temperature checks, track and trace, sanitising stations, signs giving guidance, floor monitoring, advising customers where possible to be seated, 
Clear radio communication between management and staff giving instructions if incidents arise. And the Flag app has been introduced whereby customers can remotely order drinks. James Lovett, landlord of the Coach and Horses in Upper Tithing, said he has had to remind some customers of the social distancing rules, but generally there have been few problems. If there are any sticky customers, I will remind them my duty of care as a landlord is to make sure everyone is keeping safe, he said. I ask my customers to follow the rules, and if they don't, they will be asked to leave the premises. I'm not sure if it's our clientele, but we have had no problems and our system works well. Now we are running at half capacity, and it has meant I've had to turn down some of our regular customers. It's hard to do, but we've got to keep everyone safe. City Councillor Lynn Denham, who represents Cathedral Ward, said, There's a fine balancing act of opening up restaurants and pubs, being COVID safe and without spreading the virus. Different pub owners are much more careful about it than others. It's really important that everyone open to the public maintains a high standard to be as COVID safe as possible. She added, As Cathedral Ward councillors, we have been involved in consultations around pavement licences. There's a new government system where businesses can apply for a pavement licence because eating out of doors is safer than being inside in an enclosed area. I've been to places where you've had to almost push your contact details onto them. They should be keeping a register and know who has been in their establishment and having hand gel readily available. A lot of places have gone to booking only. However, those that have a queue, it's about managing the queue with a social distance. If people take all the right precautions, it should be safe and we should enjoy a meal out if everyone is careful and the good businesses are managing. Now, Wednesday, August the 26th. Masks, our pupils will wear them. Pupils at a senior school will have to wear face masks when they return to the classroom next week. All pupils and staff at the King's School Worcester will need to wear a mask when entering the school, walking round it and leaving, in a bid to protect everyone from coronavirus. The pupils will be able to remove the masks in lessons or when they are with year group bubbles. The masks will be required for pupils in year 7 and above, age 11 upwards. But younger children at King's Junior Schools won't have to wear masks. The school's decision comes as debate raged over whether the wearing of face masks in schools was necessary or not. The government initially said that it was not required for school children to wear masks. But Prime Minister Boris Johnson hinted yesterday that that could change. The World Health Organization, WHO, and the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, have issued guidelines saying children over the age of 12 should wear masks, as should teachers if they cannot guarantee being one metre apart from others. But the Department for Education guidance for school openings in England says that face coverings are not needed where pupils and staff are mixing in consistent groups. Pupils in Scotland have already been told they will have to wear masks in communal areas and in between lessons from next Monday. King's head teacher Gareth Dudes said the measure was necessary to protect pupils and staff and to reassure parents. 
He said, this has to be the only way schools can reopen with trust, enabling us to protect staff and safeguard pupils. He added, when senior school pupils return next week, they will experience several new safety measures. We've introduced increasing hygiene provision with hand washing and sanitization stations. We'll be locating marquees around the site to enable year group bubbles and have asked all pupils and staff to wear masks when coming in, walking around and leaving the school. We believe that this is a really important measure to protect pupils and protect our staff some of whom are at a higher risk of complications should they become ill with COVID. Mr Dudes added, Everyone at King's is excited to be welcoming our 1,300 children back to our three schools. Keeping communication clear and providing timely updates to parents and pupils is vital at this time. Many pupils will be nervous about returning to school, as will many staff. The King's family is about looking out for and after each other, and that's exactly what we'll be doing in the challenging weeks and months ahead. We asked other secondary schools across Worcester if they would be asking pupils to wear masks, but none were available to comment. We also asked readers if they thought secondary school children should wear a face mask when they return to the classroom. Emma Haynes said, I have two vulnerable children going back next week. Ultimately, they can't just stay at home indefinitely, but I'd be happier knowing all possible precautions are being taken. Philip LeCount said, In the classroom, no. If other distancing and hygiene measures are in place, it can impact on collaborative learning. On transport, yes, and in between class, although this will be a monumental task. OK, so this is Thursday the 27th of August headline, Major Music Venue Dream. An empty historic cinema could be transformed into a music venue and a new plans. Worcester-born actor Sam Barriscale wants to raise money to bring the historic Gaumont Cinema in Fourgate Street back to life as a music venue, emulating its history when it hosted some of the biggest acts in the 1960s and 70s. Mr Barriscale had been working for two years to transform the historic Scala Theatre in Angel Place into an art cinema, but after plans fell through, he has turned his attention to the Gaumont. Our initial plans are to make it a music venue, Mr Barriscale said. I think we can get some big bands. It will bring people into Worcester. The different groups I've been speaking to, particularly those involved in music in Worcester, are so up for it. I think people are so desperate and the lockdown has definitely exacerbated how desperate people are to have something positive happen to the city. It can be a place that has big names as well as local bands. It will be a chance for a local band to play in a venue that holds 700 people, which is huge. There is a lot of love for the Scala, and what I've seen so far is that people are willing to go with us on this one too. There is a lot of positivity there. People want to see the arts brought back in Worcester and for it to be bigger and better. There's no reason why a place the size of Worcester can't have a big music venue. It will be good for Worcester. 
Mr. Bariscal has put very early estimates at a million pounds to achieve the ambition of buying the building. We had over 100,000 people interested in the Scala, so what I'm hoping is to transfer at least a half of those into a crowdfunding donation and actually buy the building, and then we can go for grants and use local people to do it up. I would think it would be around the million pound mark. That is 50,000 people donating £20. It's not as crazy as it sounds. I think that we could raise the funds and it will be owned by the city. The people own it and the people who are going to visit it own it and that's all for less than the price of a gig ticket. The former Art Deco cinema played host to huge acts including the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, David Bowie and Mott the Hoople but closed permanently in July when Buzz Bingo Club announced it would be shutting several venues due to the coronavirus pandemic. Mr Barascal, who runs Mar Bakers in Warnden, hopes to mirror much of the work that had been planned for the Scala Theatre transformation as part of an offshoot project, The Truth Company. He plans to take on people from marginalised groups, including children that have been through the care system, recovering addicts and homeless people, and provide training in various roles. Mr Barascal had to return several grants to various charities after the Scala plans fell through, but remains very hopeful of getting the money back due to the interest in how the venue would be run and the ethics of the business. The amount of paid internships and take those kids that have not had the best start, train them up and get them employed in Worcester, Mr Barascal added. The amount of employers I speak to that just want someone to turn up on time with a smile and be willing to learn, they don't need the skills. People are happy to teach the skills. Once they have a career, they have money and then they have choices. Friday, August the 28th. 190 days later, back in business. A landmark city restaurant has finally reopened six months after being devastated by huge floods and the coronavirus. The old rectifying house in Worcester opened its doors for the first time in 190 days yesterday after battling not only horrific flooding in February but the coronavirus lockdown just weeks later. Owner Matt Denwood said it was very emotional reopening the restaurant after such a long time. It's been a very long period of time for somebody to not do their job, he said. It's been difficult and we're just really relieved. Mr Denwood had worked tirelessly with manager Ali Crane and head chef Simon Rawlings for three months to get the restaurant back up to scratch and completely rebuild the badly damaged kitchen and toilets. There's a relief that we no longer have to do jobs that we are not well designed for anymore, but we're very happy, he said. It was very emotional, opening the doors for the first time. But the restaurant does look radically different, so it's very invigorating from that point of view. I can only really just thank everyone who has helped us this year. There are a lot of people who have helped and stood by us over the period we've been closed. And if having to deal with huge floods devastating your restaurant was not enough... The battle was made twice as hard for Mr Denwood and the rest of his staff with the industry effectively shutting down because of lockdown. The flood was obviously difficult in itself, but the water stayed in for a very long time, he said. 
the water was very high for three weeks or so, and then getting people in to do any kind of work was difficult because of Covid. It all kind of elongated and stretched out, really. The flooding damage was worse than 2007 and was by far the worst we've ever had here. It was a metre deep in the whole of the downstairs and because the water remained in the building for so long, it pretty much ruined everything. It was all pretty much wiped out, so the refurbishment has been extensive. The kitchen and bathrooms have been completely rebuilt, as has the bar. We've had new doors. It's been a bad one, put it that way. Despite being closed for a long time, the restaurant which sits next to River Seven has not lost any of its popularity, taking hundreds of bookings in just a few hours. Mr Denwood said that despite having to close for three months longer than most of the city's restaurants and bars, the lockdown has not affected the old wreck as much as others. He said the size of the building had actually worked in his favour for adhering to government guidelines. Covid hasn't affected us as much as other people yet, he said. If there was a silver lining in this cloud, it's that all my friends and colleagues that run bars and restaurants in Worcester, I was able to have a look at how they have been doing things. We are able to furlough everyone and that was a lifesaver from our point of view. In terms of going forward, we're pretty well placed really. There are people in much worse positions than us who have had to halve the number of tables, whereas really we haven't lost any. It hasn't affected us a huge amount yet, other than we just don't know what the market is going to be like, but none of us really know that. OK, we're up to Saturday, August the 29th now. Great to be back at last. Children and parents welcomed the return of soft play to the city as a popular play centre reopened its doors for the first time since lockdown. Youngsters returned to Cheeky Monkey's play centre yesterday, but its owner said he had feared they would have to wait until the end of the year. Soft play centres were given the go-ahead to reopen on August the 15th, but strict restrictions to combat coronavirus means they will have to operate on severely reduced capacity with parents booking into sessions in advance. Richard Fletcher, owner and manager, said the government have not made it easy because of the new rules and regulations and the new system we have to put in place. But it is great to be back. Originally I had thought it was going to be November for us. It is a bonus to be opening now. I had a message from Little Acorns wishing us well on reopening. Little Acorns and us are vital for children's development. The educational side, the physical side, it's enormous. Also, there is the social aspect, the importance of places like us for parents' and children's well-being, especially after lockdown. Mr Fletcher said they had prepared to ensure they were COVID-19 secure, only allowing a maximum of 60 people children and adults, at each session, with two sessions running a day between 9.30am and 11.30am and noon and 2pm. Face masks have to be worn by adults, Mr Fletcher said. When people walk through the door, they are given their own bottle of hand sanitizer. There are hand sanitizers at each entrance to play areas, toilet and cafe. There is one-way system where you've got all the social distancing. 
Everyone's temperature is taken on entering. Each mat is one metre apart and we encourage parents as they walk in to make sure their children stay one mat apart, unless they are in a bubble. And booking online means we have a record of who has been for track and trace. He added that they are running on 40% of normal capacity and without walk-ins that were a big part of the business, it would be very difficult financially. If we can get people booking though, we will be fine, the owner added. Now Monday, August the 31st. Pervert back behind bars. A sex offender who tried to meet girls for sex and has abused a child has been jailed for flouting rules to keep Worcester safe from the paedophile predator. Christopher Postans had unsupervised contact with children by the Elgar statue in Worcester, which breached the terms of a sexual harm prevention order designed to safeguard city children. The 43-year-old of Ombersley Road, Worcester, was jailed for four months by Judge James Burbridge, QC, at the city's Crown Court on Thursday. The breach happened when the registered sex offender had unsupervised contact with children near the Elgar statue in Worcester High Street before going to Starbucks on July the 23rd this year. The case was prosecuted by Amy Parks, while the defendant was represented by Sam Lambsdale. We have previously reported how Postans used the internet to groom girls and tried to meet one in a Malvern Park so he could assault her. Christopher Postans appeared in Worcester Crown Court via video link from HMP Hewell last June, where he admitted sexual communication with children, all young girls. Then living at Longridge Road, Malvern, he admitted three counts of sexual communication with three different underage victims. Postons tried to meet one of the girls in Victoria Park, Malvern, with the aim of sexually assaulting her. The first offence happened between April the 1st and May the 24th last year in Malvern, when Postons attempted to communicate with a girl under 16 via Instagram. Postons admitted two similar offences of sexual communication against two further victims and an attempt to meet a child following sexual grooming on more than one occasion. This involved an attempt to meet a girl aged 14, one of the three victims already referred to, in Victoria Park, Malvern, which would have involved the commission of a relevant sexual offence, namely a sexual assault. He was jailed last July at Hereford Crown Court. Andrew Wilkins, prosecuting, said the defendant messaged a girl of 13 on Instagram describing a photo he believed was of her bottom as a nice picture. A comment she told him was inappropriate. Postans attempted to meet her on April the 16th last year at 11pm, telling her, you don't need to be scared, I just want to talk, and kiss me. The girl replied, I'm 13 though. Postons responded, would you let me? Postons sent a topless photo of himself to another underage girl, also 13, which she said made her feel really uncomfortable. 
Postons communicated with a third 13-year-old girl about being naughty and smacking bums, sending her his topless photo. However, the first victim, the one Postons had tried to meet in the park, told her father what had been happening. Police were called and the defendant was arrested. In interview, Postons made limited admissions but denied any sexual motivation. In 2003, Postons met with a 14-year-old girl he had contacted via an internet chat room, having penetrative sex with her. The defendant, sentenced in 2005, received a community rehabilitation order and later breached the notification requirements. Jailing him last July, recorder Jason McAdam said, This is familiar territory for you. You have done this sort of thing before, some considerable time ago. He added, The fact is, you're a paedophile. You're sexually attracted to children. I have no doubt whatsoever, if you had met any of these children, you would have abused them in the same way you abused your victim in the past. Last July, the judge had jailed him for 27 months, imposed a sexual harm prevention order for 10 years and ordered him to sign the sex offender register for the same period. OK, so today's headline, Prolific County Burglar Jailed. A drug addict burglar who broke into a church has admitted a string of crowbar raids on Worcester businesses to fund his habit. Nicholas Dutfield, already serving a prison sentence for burgling a church, pleaded guilty to nine further city burglaries when he appeared over video link from prison at Worcester Crown Court. The 49-year-old, who carried out his first burglary in 1984, raided memorials in Worcester, cyber queue escape rooms in Lowesmore Wharf, the Swan Theatre in the Moors and Quanta Training also in the Moors on a single day, November the 26th last year. Dutfield, now a prisoner at HMP Featherstone, burgled cyber-queue escape rooms again on December the 6th last year. The freezer unit at Worcester Racecourse on December the 8th last year and Ostler's in Seven Terrace on December the 8th last year. He committed another burglary at Worcester Racecourse, this time at the Medical Room on December the 11th last year and yet another again at Ostler's on December the 15th last year. During the raid at Memorials, he broke in through an office window causing £400 worth of damage and stole a petty cash tin with around £70 inside. Richard Frank, prosecuting, said Dutfield was recognised from the CCTV with a rucksack and a crowbar, which seems to be his MO. In his first burglary at the CyberQ escape rooms, he broke in through the entrance door, stealing £93.20 from a cash box and an iPhone. Dutfield entered the Swan by breaking in via the fire escape and broke two doors, though no reports were made of anything being stolen. Nothing was reported stolen from the raid at Quanta or from his second raid, the CyberQ escape rooms, after the defendant broke in through a fire door. He stole meat from the racecourse freezer unit at 2.57am on December the 8th. He raided Ostler's, breaking in using a crowbar and causing £130 worth of damage. He stole £150 from a kitty jar, a £100 tablet and a £500 iPhone. 
it was considered an aggravating feature that the owner was living upstairs at the time. Dutfield stole two televisions when he returned to the race course, this time breaking into the medical room on December the 11th last year, leaving his DNA at the scene. Dutfield returned to Osler's on December the 15th, just a week after the first raid, and stole the £200 float but was arrested escaping the scene. The owner at Osler's said in a victim personal statement, I find it very unsettling to think that somebody had been downstairs while I was asleep. Mr Frank said the defendant had tooled himself up with a crowbar and said his previous convictions were enormously aggravating. He added, his offending is to feed his drug habit. Dutfield has 64 offences of burglary on his record, largely targeting commercial premises, but also 10 house burglaries. We have previously reported how Dutfield burgled Freedom Church in Lowesmore, Worcester on November the 23rd last year, breaking into the safe which cost £370 to replace before making off with an iPod Touch worth £159, an iPad worth £289 and £96 in cash. The defendant was jailed for two years and two months in March this year. Recorder David Mason QC said, It's a shame that you weren't sentenced for all these matters back in March when you were sentenced for the other matters. The judge jailed him for 20 months. This will run concurrently with the prison sentence he is already serving. I'm sure you'll realise that because of restrictions on sporting events and activities, this has limited our amount of sporting articles to read to you. So I've chosen today um, one of the Worcester News's Lives Remembered articles with a sporting angle. Tributes to local cricket legend. Tributes have been paid to well-known local cricketer John Shepherd. Shep, as he was affectionately known, died earlier this month at the age of 83. His son Peter said, John was a very keen sportsman, playing for Burlingham and the Fossils for over 50 years, and during this time he also coached youngsters who wanted to get involved in the game. In his career, he did the double of a 1,000 runs and a 100 wickets. He won the Greenan Award for his batting three years running, then won the Bowling Award three years running. There was no stopping him. John also represented Worcestershire Cricket Club at the over 50, 60 and 70s levels. John's early work life saw him driving tanks in the army. He left that and became a self-employed builder, a job he kept all his life. One of his many accomplishments was to build the pavilion at Burlingham Cricket Club, which later was named after him in his honour. And this article has a large photograph of John Shepherd outside the John Shepherd Pavilion. John was also a keen footballer, playing for Pershore L Boys, Pershore United and Pinvin United. He played until he was 46, and this after being told that breaking his ankle in the army meant he'd never play again. John had a love of darts, which he played well into his late 70s, playing at his local, the Coach and Horses, in Pinvin. Tributes have been pouring in for the Burlingham legend. 
Peter said, John was a man much loved by many. Others added their tributes. Burlingham CC member Martin Webb said on Twitter, a legend and stalwart has passed away. He helped shape the club, Burlingham CC, for what it is today. A brilliant batsman, bowler, loved by many. We went out to win for you today, the victory over Feckenham, Shep, R.I.P. Craig Sheward added, R.I.P. Shep, a truly great cricketer. He scored some great runs. I was lucky enough to play in a 600-run match on a Sunday where he and I both scored big tons. A Burlingham legend. Roger Weston added, R.I.P., top guy. And Gavin Spares adding that these are sad times. The Burlingham Twitter account said simply, it was a joy to watch him still thumping the ball to the ropes in his 70s. Okay. Warriors secured their first win since the resumption of the Premiership season last night against Harlequins. So that was on Thursday, August 27th. Warriors used their new weapon of mass destruction, a 12-man maul, to devastating effect to flatten Harlequins and secure their first bonus point win of the season. Warriors unveiled the tactic at Wasps last Friday, scored one try but used it sparingly. Here they employed it often and effectively, shunting Harlequins back from a series of 5-metre lineouts and scoring four tries, all of them in the first half. The win gave Warriors a first double over Harlequins in 15 years and secured a first Premiership win of 2020 after several agonising near misses. It was also a triumph for the new coaching team of Jonathan Thomas, Mark Irish, Matt Sherratt and Johnny Goodridge. Director of Rugby Alan Solomons said in the build-up that Warriors would have to match Harlequins' physicality to get that win and they did more than that. The only blemish on an otherwise excellent performance from Warriors was the huge penalty count against them at the breakdown in the second half, although Harlequins handed some of those back as a result of the relentless pressure they were put under in the scrums. Warriors needed only five minutes to take a firm grip on the game when Duncan Weir kicked a penalty to the corner. The outstanding Graham Kitchener claimed the line-out and the 12-man maul-muscled Cornell Dupriest over for the try which Weir converted. A repeat dose followed seven minutes later, Kitchener again securing the line-out and the mass maul producing a try for Ollie Lawrence, probably the shortest distance the centre has ever had to cover for a try. Warriors struggled to maintain the momentum in a scruffy second half with a high penalty count at the breakdown negating dominance at the set piece. But Warriors also defended ferociously for long periods and will head to Sandy Park for Sunday's tough assignment against Exeter Chiefs in good heart. Now some published letters. First of all, one from the 21st of August. And it's headed, supermarket staff should be masked. Sir, I have no problem wearing a mask whenever I go in, into my local Waitrose. And all the customers were wearing masks. However, on the meat, fish and cheese counters, all those servings weren't serving were not wearing masks. And when leaving, leaning over to get a selected item, were breathing on the produce. 
When I phoned Waitrose later, there was the standard reply, it is not government policy for our employees to wear masks. Why? Why not make these staff wear masks as a company policy and set a trend? I would feel a whole lot better buying meat, fish and cheese from someone wearing a mask. If one supermarket started doing this, surely the others would follow. And then the second letter, they will remember. Sir, over the last five months, there's been more chatter in your paper and other media about reopening pubs, nail bars, fast food places and cafes than there has been about schooling. My three 18-year-old granddaughters, all starting university, were referred to on Saturday as children or kids by faceless men turning handles on machines, churning random grades. This is our own fault. Just like the Forgotten Army, we heard about on Saturday, they're another forgotten group. We let this happen because we didn't make a fuss. We trusted our centralist government, but sadly, they didn't trust our own county's teachers. Ironically, on Saturday, we heard of brave men in the same age group who gave their tomorrows to win VJ Day for us. They grew up fast enough then, just as my granddaughters are doing today. Oh, and these young adults have got the vote now. That's their whip hand. Okay, my letter then is from Terry James at Drake's Broughton. Sir, I wonder if readers of the Worcester News, like me, wonder why ministers of this government never get sacked, no matter how incompetent they are and what mistakes they make. I would submit it is because they've all signed up to a code of supporting any lies or bad decisions put out by Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings in return for the protection of not being sacked. If Boris Johnson was to sack one of them, it would all fall apart. The government are already playing the blame game by disbanding the Public Health England, blaming them for the glaring mistakes that they made themselves of the pandemic. The next one is to blame Ofqual for the A-level disaster. Are there no end to the U-turns they make? I have counted ten already. The Cabinet has been chosen not on their competence or ability, but on their loyal support of Brexit. The Prime Minister's choice of potential lords even has a Russian in it who is a friend of the PM. I have lived through many governments from Winston Churchill's wartime coalition and can honestly say that this is the most incompetent and dishonest of any of them and a danger to our democracy. And my other letter um, is from Lynn James, uh, who is a PDSA vet in Telford. Sir... At Vet Charity PDSA, we provide life-saving care to pets in need and believe no pet should suffer due to financial hardship. But the coronavirus pandemic has left us facing a national crisis. With the country plunged into financial uncertainty and more than a million extra universal credit claims, we expect the number of pets needing our help to increase by around 50,000. So support from local animal lovers is needed now more than ever. We're urging dog owners and their four-legged friends to put their best paw forward and support our vital service by signing up to the World Big Dog Walk Challenge. 
All you need to do is choose a suitable distance for you and your dog to complete during September. This could be your regular walkies route around your local park, or why not stretch yourself and take on a more challenging distance? Whatever the distance, every small step will make a big difference to all the lives of poorly pets in desperate need of life-saving treatment. Our veterinary service has been a lifeline to so many pets and their owners across the UK during the crisis. So by choosing to support PDSA through this fun virtual event, we can continue our vital work saving sick and injured pets in need. And lastly, the comment article with the letters from today, Tuesday, September the 1st. And it's headed, a U-turn would not be a surprise. Seeing calls for the government to put back GCSE and A-level exams was not surprising, given the uncertainty surrounding the ongoing pandemic. Despite the government saying there would be no need to postpone them, it would be no surprise at all if they did postpone them. It would fit a trend this government has, has of saying they definitely will not change their mind, then changing their mind at the first opportunity. We saw it with the GCSE and A-level results. We saw it with wearing masks in shops. The list goes on and on. It's a strange piece of moral gymnastics these people must have to do to be able to appear on breakfast television confidently saying there will be no U-turn before doing a press conference a few days later saying the U-turn was absolutely the right thing to do. While the government is saying so far there is no reason to postpone exams, don't be surprised if, come next summer, students across the country are sitting their exams later than expected. Why would they break the habit of a lifetime and not make a U-turn? OK, so now we're going to start on some stories for you. Taxi parking issue returns. Issues caused by taxis queuing for the rank in Worcester Fourgate Street are again being highlighted after recent problems. The chairman of Worcester City Council's licensing committee, Councillor Louise Griffiths, has called the situation awful after the Bike Worcester group shared pictures of taxis parked illegally on double yellows forcing cars into the bus and cycle lanes. We reported on the issue last year when Worcestershire Regulatory Services, WRS, which handles taxi licensing on behalf of Worcester City Council, stepping up its pursuit of taxi drivers parked illegally. But the issue has not gone away, with Bike Worcester members claiming it is now happening every single day and taking pictures on three days in the last week. A spokesman for Bike Worcester said, If you are cycling there, you are forced out into the road, and if you are coming from the high street direction, you are heading towards buses and other cyclists in the bus lane. I'm not sure why it is blown up again. Taxi drivers sit there with engines on and people are breathing in the fumes. Drivers that park outside of a designated taxi rank when it is full and do not move to an empty one can face fines of up to £500 and be handed four penalty points. While a taxi driver who picks up more than 15 penalty points within two years would be forced to meet with the council's licensing committee and potentially lose their licence. After the issue was highlighted on social media, Councillor Griffiths tweeted on August the 15th, I've just driven down and it's awful. Lots of enforcement officers out and about but none on Fourgate Street. 
We're aware of the issues and I've had multiple drivers in front of me at subcommittee who've received points for overranking. Would love to have cameras to ensure it doesn't happen, but there is a much more robust enforcement system in place than previously too. I regularly take action on this and report to WRS. A City Council spokesman said... Worcester City Council is responsible for the licences of taxis in the city. We take matters such as over-ranking and illegal parking seriously and will issue penalty points or a fine to drivers when an offence is proven. Residents can report incidents at inquiries at worcesterregservices.gov.uk. Right, something else about cars. Dangerous driver, high-speed chase. This article is from the 21st of August. An uninsured dangerous driver accelerated to 132 miles per hour during a police chase and self-harmed when arrested, leaving scars on his face. Worcester's top judge, James Burbage QC, said he'd never seen a driver achieve such high speeds when he jailed Jason Topping at Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday. The 27-year-old defendant, who still bore the scars of self-harm following his arrest, had already admitted dangerous driving, possession of a bladed article and driving without insurance when he arrived for sentence at the Crown Court, sitting at the Magistrates' Court in Castle Street during the COVID-19 crisis. The police chase on the M42, M40 and A46 lasted 15 minutes and only came to an end when police used a stinger. The pursuit started at 7pm on April the 25th. The judge watched footage of the pursuit captured on a police dash cam before passing sentence. John Brotherton, prosecuting, said the defendant's top speed had been 132 miles per hour. Topping drove over the chevrons between two motorways, ran a red light and was driving at between 120 miles per hour and 130 miles per hour for a sustained period. Mr Brotherton said Topping also had a previous conviction for driving without insurance. That offence happened on January the 18th this year and he was convicted on February the 13th. Richard Hull, defending, said the motorway was very quiet at the time of the offence and traffic was extremely light, although he said this mitigation was undone somewhat by the speeds that are achieved for a sustained period and the length of the chase. He self-harmed immediately after the arrest. The scar on his face is still healing, said Mr Hull. The judge said, They pursued you for a considerable period, 15 minutes in time and many miles in distance. The speeds achieved are the highest I have seen in these courts, 132 miles per hour, the judge said. The judge jailed him for six months and disqualified him from driving for 15 months. Because Topping of Wynall's Close, Broadwell, Colford has been convicted of dangerous driving, he must also complete an extended driving retest. Uh, eviction ban extended. 
ministers extended the ban on landlords evicting tenants in England until September the 20th, following warnings that thousands could lose their homes. From Monday, uh, this is from Saturday the 22nd, so from uh, the 24th, from Monday, courts were due to resume cases paused for five months owing to the coronavirus crisis under stricter rules. Now they will remain on hold for a further four weeks. Charities said they feared mass evictions around Christmas if the government does not give judges powers to stop automatic evictions of tenants affected by the coronavirus outbreak. Labour leader Sakia Starmer has welcomed the 11th hour U-turn but said the ban should remain in force until a credible plan is in place to stop anyone losing their home because of the pandemic. Such a brief extension means there is a real risk that this will simply give renters a few more weeks to pack their bags, he said. If the ban is lifted without extra protection, charities have warned that tens of thousands of outgoing tenants could be unable to access affordable homes, prompting a devastating homelessness crisis. Richard Udall... Worcestershire County Councillor also expressed concerns over residents of Worcester being made homeless. He said over 40,000 people in England have cases against them waiting in the courts. It is going to be a serious problem both for individuals and administratively. The backlog may take weeks or months to clear. It's coming at a time when thousands of people are losing their jobs and when furlough support is coming to an end. If we are not careful, we will see a major spike in homelessness, many of which will be classed as intentionally homeless, which means local authorities will have no obligation to help. Clearly, people do need to pay their rents and do need to clear their arrears. The ban on eviction should not be seen as an excuse not to pay rent, so each case should be treated on its own individual merit. I believe instead of commencing evictions, the government needs to introduce measures to help tenants who are struggling to give them more time to pay or to help by writing off debts. We are in a difficult and challenging time. The people who are in financial problems caused by the pandemic should be protected and supported, not punished. Now an article from today, Tuesday, September the 1st. Help save our school. A music school is pleading for the public's help to continue its vital work. The Elgar School of Music in Deansway, Worcester, has provided tuition since it started in 1983 for musicians from the city and beyond, and it needs to raise £10,000 to safeguard future learning. Head of the school, Noriko Tsutsaki, said, We've been hit hard by the pandemic and not supported as much compared to other sectors. We desperately need to raise significant funds to keep our doors open, not only keep delivering our diverse provisions for the community, but also to secure jobs for our administration team and teaching staff. The school provides a range of teaching for all ages and mixed abilities, including its community choirs offering a social lifeline for members of the community who are older and look forward to the personal and social interaction achieved through singing together. Miss Tsutsaki added, We will be one of the last sectors to go back to anything like it was before the pandemic hit. Many of the teachers at the school also perform professionally, which all disappeared quickly as months of lockdown started. 
The school is currently adapting its building to make students as safe as possible during the pandemic when they return. With so much of the school's income and sources gone, it faces an uncertain and worrying future. Developing provisions in early years music and creating music therapy programmes in care homes and hospices were some of the projects staff started as the pandemic began at the beginning of the year. On its Just Giving page, people who have donated have left messages of support. Helen Perks said, Music has given me sterling service in my career and is still doing so. This is by means of giving something back. Adrian said, You are providing musical experience and teaching for a wide range of people in Worcester. Important work. John Dowbiggin said, Elgar School of Music has provided many happy hours as I've joined in the choirs and learned to play the oboe, helping me achieve things in the last third of my life I never thought I would. Steve said, Music, such a comfort in tough times. Keep playing and singing. To help, visit justgiving.com forward slash campaign forward slash ESM COVID 2020. Okay, this is about um, Christmas shop opening. Um, Christmas has come early in the city as a new high street trader has arrived. Simon Askew says he is thrilled to open a festive themed shop, Country Christmas, at an empty unit number 29, the former Moshaloo. Mr Askew said it was his first time having a shop in the city centre as his business was usually attending trade shows all over the country. Normally we do exhibition shows, he said. We would be doing shows at the NEC. We have done country living in London. We have done Oxford Christmas Market. We were coming to the stage where 70 to 90% of shows we would normally do were cancelled. We import half our stock and make the other half as a craft business. We are a massively seasonal business, so we were in the sticky situation where we had ordered the stock before this thing got really serious. People don't realise Christmas for us starts in January, with months and months of work, and then sell it at the end of the year. We decided, let's open a shop. Years ago, we had a family business at what used to be the Toll House in Ombersley, turning that into a Christmas shop, which was an interesting project at the time, and we had never really gone back to that. For us, a small independent, to open up a high street shop, it's a big deal for us. There are not many independents around nowadays. Mr Askew, who is born and bred in Worcester and lives in Clanes, said among the items they will be selling are hundreds of different types of Christmas tree hangers, most of which they design themselves, as well as dried fruit and cinnamon wreaths and garlands. The shop is being run as a family business, with his mum Mary, known as Merrill, and dad Derek Askew. Mr Askew said they would also be part of the Victorian Fair, as they had been for two decades, setting up outside the shop if the event goes ahead. Mr Askew also joked that they had held off opening until last Saturday, as they couldn't justify opening a festive shop any earlier. There are some Christmas shops, like one in Borton on the Water in the Cotswold, that are open all year round, he said. We're not quite as keen as them. Now an article from Thursday, August the 20th, concerns over order. 
Campaigners have said a plan to hand out fines for cycling dangerously in the city is completely sending out the wrong message. Worcester City Council wants to introduce a public space protection order, PSPO, for the city centre, which would mean £100 fines could be handed out to anybody seeing aggressively begging, feeding girls or cycling or skateboarding dangerously. Dan Brothwell, chairman of City Cycling Campaigners Bike Worcester, said introducing the measures would create a barrier to more people cycling and send out the wrong message. It's fascinating that the city and county talk about their proactive travel and are pro-cycling, but then are talking about instigating this, he said. The area it's covering is taking in the canal and the riverside, which are designated cycling routes, and the enforcement becomes massively subjective. I'm sure there might be pedestrians that will be passed by a cyclist and the perception is they're cycling dangerously, whereas the cyclist might say, well, I'm not cycling dangerously. I just think it sends completely the wrong message. It will be a barrier to more people cycling. People will think twice about cycling through these areas and I just despair. The council has finally launched a four-week public consultation asking for views of residents on the draft PSPO after several delays, the latest of which was brought on by the coronavirus lockdown. Disagreements between councillors over the wording of the PSPO have led to months of delays and the document has been rewritten several times. The City Council has said it would not take a zero-tolerance approach to the PSPO, particularly with aggressive begging, and fines and prosecution would only be used as a last resort. Passionate cyclist Tom Petrovsky said he thought the measures were over the top and the council should be focusing on bringing more people to the city centre rather than discouraging them. My first impression is the language is so extreme and is completely getting the wrong end of the stick. I think the tone is not great, he said. It's not only about cycling, but feeding gulls and the aggressive begging. It seems so one-sided and draconian. I completely disagree that there is not enough measures already in place to deal with this. I think there are plenty of tools for the council and police if it is needed. For people who choose to walk or cycle through the city centre, how is this helping? It just seems to be over the top. A plan to convert a listed building into apartments has been withdrawn after neighbours said it would cause irreversible change to one of the city's most historic streets. The plan would have seen a three-storey listed building in Edgar Street converted from offices into five apartments. The former office building sits in front of the historic Edgar Tower and is a stone's throw from Worcester Cathedral. City Council Lynn Denham held a meeting with several residents who were concerned by the plans. She said, What absolutely shone through was that they love their houses and they've put a lot of time, effort and resource into either restoring those old buildings or preserving all the original features and that building deserves the same. We pushed to see the potential for a compromise as I don't think the neighbours are completely against it becoming residential. It's really good to have a happy ending at this point in time. It's not really that the people are against development as such. It's about having the right development in the right location. It's a building that deserves to be loved and invested in as much as the neighbours are. 
Several objections had been raised by neighbours in Edgar Street, saying the flats would be out of keeping and there were concerns over the lack of car parking in the overcrowded street and fears more litter would attract rats and girls. One objection said five apartments was overdevelopment and the plan would irrevocably change the character of one of the city's most historic streets. The plans will be sensitive as almost 100 listed buildings sit within 250 metres of the building in Edgar Street. Developer Worcester Properties has already carried out several office-to-apartment conversions in listed buildings throughout the city centre and has recently gained permission to convert a listed building in Shore Street. The developer said the plans to build apartments would have future-proofed the building as office space in the city centre was becoming less popular. Concerns were also raised that providing only two parking spaces for five apartments would put strain on the residents' parking scheme. Residents said parking was already difficult in the hugely overstretched road, with some forced to park in Diglis, and matters would be made worse with the possibility of 14 more people living through the five flats as well as visitors. Well now, we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Moira and to John for reading and recording, and to Carol Hartle for the admin work, which will follow. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next time. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. And now the obituaries. Jennifer Ann Brown passed away peacefully August the 18th, 2020. A private service will have been taking place. Andrew Brown, or Andy, passed away peacefully August the 20th, 2020, aged 80 years. A private family service will take place on Monday, September the 7th at 10.45am. No further details are given. I think it might be at the crematorium, however, judging from other text. Maureen Jones, Mo passed away in Lincoln with her family around her on the 12th of August, aged 87 years. No funeral details have been given. Patricia Margaret O'Brien, Pat, on August 16th, 2020, aged 86 years. Private funeral service at Worcester Crematorium. Karen Holmes, nay Hardwick, of Kidderminster, formerly Worcester, sadly passed away at home with her family by her side following a brave battle with cancer on Friday, August the 14th, 2020, aged 56 years, a private cremation. Karen Holmes, nay Hardwick, an additional entry from her, her siblings. To my wonderful little sister, you're now at peace our love with you always, we'll miss you. Leslie Kenneth Norman of Albany Road passed away on 6th of August 2020, aged 89 years. A cremation has taken place. Brian David Walters passed away peacefully at home on August the 19th, 2020, aged 69 years. No details of a funeral. Dorothy Florence Winters, 
born and grew up in Worcester, late of Hillgrove, Crescent, Kidderminster. Peacefully passed away in her sleep, August the 15th, 2020, aged 92. She will be sadly missed by her sister, three children and six grandchildren, two great-grandchildren and all her family and friends. There will have been a family service at the Forest of Dean crematorium. Elizabeth Evelyn Garrett, Betty, passed peacefully away in the care of Regent House, August the 8th, 2020, aged 98 years. The funeral service has already taken place. Betty Jones, nay Stanley, Bet of Worcester, passed away peacefully, Seven Heights Nursing Home, August the 9th, 2020, aged 90 years. The funeral service has already taken place. Raymond Frederick Phillips passed away peacefully on August the 11th, 2020, aged 92 years. No funeral details have been given. Gwen Small passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on August the 10th, 2020, aged 72 years. And again, no funeral details given. Ted Lord. It is with great sadness that the family of Ted Lord announces his death on August the 9th, 2020 at George Elliott Hospital in Nuneaton after a short illness. The funeral will be held on Friday, September the 4th at Worcester Crematorium at 11.30. James Blair O'Shea passed away peacefully at Fernal Hill House on August the 6th, 2020, aged 92 years. The funeral's already taken place. Joan Ann Freshwater passed peacefully on the morning of August the 18th, aged 63, with her family around her. Beloved mother to Isabel, Lawrence and Guy. There'll be a private family funeral. Heather Jean Edwards passed away peacefully on Thursday, August the 13th, aged 83 years. There'll be a private cremation. Hilda Bradley, nay Postons, or Mary, passed away peacefully on August the 12th, aged 85 years. The funeral has already taken place. Barbara Eda Clark passed away peacefully on August the 7th, aged 95 years. The funeral service has already taken place. Graham Skipworth of Witten, formerly of Droitwich Spa, passed away on August the 3rd, aged 73. The funeral has already taken place. Paul Mitchell sadly passed away peacefully on Wednesday, August the 12th, aged 85 years. Service to take place at St George's Roman Catholic Church, 1 Sanson Place, Worcester, on Monday, September the 7th at 12 o'clock, followed by a burial at St John's Cemetery at 1pm. <laughs> 